the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Arthur Idala on AM 970. The answer. This is the Arthur Idala Power Hour with quintessential New Yorker attorney Arthur Idala, New York's go to lawyer. He's here to share his stories from in the courtroom and around the city with interviews from high profile guests and everyday folks calling in to talk about everything from politics, lifestyle, health and wellness, and more. And now your host, making the case for the city he loves, attorney Arthur Idala. Boy, have I gotten into the wrong industry. Have I gotten into the wrong area of show business. Hello and welcome to the Arthur Idal Power Hour. This is your host, Joe Sibilia, and I am just flabbergasted because today is an example of what fame has become. Very evident here in New York City today that, <laughs> the, you know, there used to be a traditional road to fame. Let me give you a little background before I start to break down this story for you here at 604 on AM 970, The Answer. So back in the day, how did you become a celebrity? You worked in a nightclub and you honed an act. You had a specific talent, an identifiable talent, or you came up in local broadcasting. And from there, you tried to claw your way onto national television. Maybe you'd earn yourself a guest spot on the Ed Sullivan show or on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson or, or one of these big shows and you get national exposure that way. And then once you've proven yourself in that arena, then only then maybe you get a shot at the big time. And even then it was questionable. Now, how do you become famous? You buy a video game and you buy a webcam and you go online and you play video games and somehow this garners the attention of millions upon millions of people. And today prove just how fame has changed in New York because there was one of these, as they call them, influencers at Union Square. This influencer's name is Kai Sanat. And Mr. Sanat was hosting a giveaway. Now, this is astounding. He decides he's going to give away some video game items, things like a, a PlayStation system and microphones and, and things that video gamers, people like him, use. And <laughs> this was supposed to start at 4 o'clock. By 3 o'clock, there were somewhere around 1,000 people. And this crowd of people just erupted into sheer chaos. And long story short, <laughs> within a couple of hours, there have been numerous arrests. Kai Sanat, this Twitch streamer. Now, Twitch, if you don't know what that is, is a website where people go online and you watch people and sometimes even pay people to to watch them while they play a video game. This is like the equivalent of if you went to an arcade in the 1980s and you went with your VHS camcorder and you filmed yourself playing Pac-Man and 
that ended up becoming a national television show. That that's what the equivalent is. This is what entertainment has become in our country. And all I'm thinking to myself is this guy can somehow get a crowd of a thousand people in Union Square. This guy can score millions upon millions of viewers just by playing video games. Meanwhile, I'm killing myself on radio trying to host a show for you, trying to entertain people. And and I must have gone wrong somewhere. So maybe I need to start doing this. Needless to say, uh, mercifully, nobody... Uh, has been seriously injured that we know of at this time. Uh, the, uh, the NYPD, I, I believe it's the chief of department. I, I didn't quite correct. get a look. Uh, he's uh, addressing chief the press Madre. right now. Yes, correct. He's uh, speaking to the press right now. But I just don't understand these influencers. I, I know so many people who want to be YouTubers, live streamers, Instagram influencers, and I just don't get how that's even appealing. Like, what is your talent? What is your ability? I mean, I can't imagine uh, being on television. Like, could you watch television back in the 70s? You'd watch The Tonight Show. Could you imagine Ed McMahon going... From Hollywood, The Tonight Show starring Johnny Carson. Johnny's guests tonight are video gamer Kai Sinat, Daniel, back at it again with the White Vans. And Suzanne Plachette. And now, here's Johnny. Like, I, I can't imagine that. I, I, I can't see that. Or, or, or what about this lineup? Could you imagine this? From Hollywood, The Tonight Show, starring Johnny Carson. Johnny's guests tonight are video game live streamer Kai Sinat, Grumpy Cat, and Charles Nelson Riley. And now here's Johnny. This is what show business has become. But somebody walking around on their daily day-to-day uh, business wearing white vans, and all of a sudden you wind up on the Ellen DeGeneres show. It, it is ridiculous. But I, I feel like I'm getting a little sense of jealousy. A little bit. I just a <laughs> little bit. It's like, how do these people hit on this where? All of the sudden, they become these big stars overnight for doing nothing. It's well, like you almost have to put in less effort in order to become. I want to become a sensation playing miniature golf. Right. Yet everybody downs this idea that I have. But somehow this guy can sit in front of his television playing video games and he becomes an overnight sensation? Well, I think the only fair thing to do is to make Mr. Sinat pay for all the reckless damage that was done. He should be paying for the police overtime and involved in clearing out these crowds. And yes, this is ridiculous. There's a reason why when there are major giveaways, there's waivers and there's a whole rule and designed. Everyone has planned out how this prize will be given out. You can't just show up, expect a big crowd, and just start throwing stuff out to one another. I I just think this is hilarious. Again, this is a sign of the times. Back in the day, I mean, so you'd see the Beatles get a crowd like this. You would see Elvis right. Presley or Frank Sinatra or Martin Lewis get a mob like this. These are people who really had like a discernible talent. And I really don't mean, I mean, look, I don't understand it, but I don't mean to put this down. I understand people find this entertaining. But it's almost like, you know, people go to school to study music, to study dance, to study you know, they, they try and hone their craft and they don't get an ounce of the recognition that this guy gets. But maybe mercifully so, because then 
they're not starting riots like this in Times Square. I don't, I don't remember the last time I've seen a ballerina sort of riot. And this is my favorite part. So you, you've seen all that footage of people like the Beatles where their cars are just mobbed by fans and they can't get away. And there's an SUV here. Now, I'm not sure if Kai Sinat is in this vehicle because um, he was taken into police custody. But we can presume that perhaps they thought he was in this SUV or maybe he even was in the SUV. I don't know for sure. But the mob of people around this car is not to be believed. It takes like 10 minutes for this car to drive away from this mob. It's just astounding. But I I don't know. I don't know what to make of this except welcome to New York. And But in a way, this is kind of a good thing because it shows that New York is back in a way. Yeah. <laughs> At least yeah, people are out it's, and it's about. It's back, yeah. Riots are back, yeah. Well, that's exactly what we want. It's, uh, you, know, you know, anything we can do to, to bring New York back. And the Arthur Idella Power Hour has really been doing that in a big way and will continue to do that in a big way because on Monday, August 14th from 6 to 8 p.m., a.m. 970 – and the Arthur Idella Power Hour are back at Pershing Square Terrace, right in the heart of Grand Central, for a show that you won't want to miss. Arthur will be joined by members of the Midtown Bid Coalition, a partnership of business improvement districts, otherwise known as BID, made up of the Times Square Alliance, Grand Central Partnership, Garment District Alliance, Madison Avenue Bid, East Midtown Partnership, Fifth Avenue Bid and the Hudson Yards Hell's Kitchen Alliance, which came together in 2022 to start advocating for safer streets and solutions to address quality of life issues in our city. So hear about how the bids are working together to advocate for these common goals and highlight the triumphs and growth of Midtown's business community from food, drink and shopping to building and real estate. Nothing is off the table when the Midtown Big Coalition comes together on the Arthur Idala Power Hour on August 14th from 6 to 8 p.m. Now, coming up next on the Arthur Idala Power Hour with your guest host, Joe Sibilia, uh, we are going to be joined by an expert on the Gilgo Beach murders that have been captivating the news. And there has been a break in that story. So Frank McKay, nationally syndicated radio host, will be joining us once again on the Arthur Idala Power Hour to discuss that story. Also joining us later in the show is Councilman Robert Holden. He's going to talk to us about uh, the the future of outdoor dining at restaurants and the uh, migrant crisis that New York has been facing. And also, I'm going to be paying tribute to somebody we lost this week who uh, I don't think got too much coverage on the show, but I'd like to pay a little bit of tribute to the one and only Paul Rubens, who is better known as Pee Wee Herman. So we're going to be discussing that later on on the Arthur Idell Power Hour. This is your host, Joe Sibilia. Thank you for tuning in. Hope you're not in Union Square because I certainly want to be there, <laughs> would not want to be there right now. Uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with more right here on AM 970, The Answer. And I think to myself, what a wonderful Craving that signature Sunday sauce? Michael's of Brooklyn will make your place a must. Join Michael's of Brooklyn Sauce of the Month Club. Receive a different jar of Michael's of Brooklyn pasta sauce, homemade pasta and biscotti each month for six months. Make your home the place to be with Michael's of Brooklyn's signature fresh marinara right in your home. Visit michaelsofbrooklyn.com and order online. That's michaelsofbrooklyn.com. Michael's of Brooklyn, serving the community since 1964. 
This is Dennis Prager. Now you can listen to my show when it's convenient for you and without censorship from Big Tech. Become a member of the ultimate online community for all things Prager. It's PragerTopia Unlimited. Listen to every radio show over the last 10 years, all commercial free. You can even listen to all my Torah teachings for free. Join today and save 25% off the first year and get a free PragerTopia coffee mug. Go to PragerTopia.com or click the banner at DennisPrager.com. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. Summer isn't over yet, and Bay Ridge Honda is turning up the heat by saving you $1,500. You heard that right, $1,500 when you turn in your trade or lease and purchase your next car with Bay Ridge Honda. They've been your family-owned and operated dealer for over 60 years. They are your Honda dealer serving the five boroughs. Browse from over 200 new Honda vehicles and over 100 certified pre-owned vehicles backed by the Honda True Program at their 2022 President's Award-winning dealer. Right now, get 0% APR financing and 0% down payment on select new 2023 Honda models all month long. Plus, you'll receive $1,500 when you turn in your trade or lease when you purchase your new vehicle with them. Even if you don't buy a vehicle from them, they will buy your vehicle from you. Visit them at 4th Avenue and 88th Street in Bay Ridge or online at BayRidgeHonda.com. That's BayRidgeHonda.com. These deals are available to qualified buyers. Additional fees may apply. See dealer for details. This deal ends August 30th, 2023. I'm Ferenc Toth, host of the Your Personal Bank Show. I use common sense as an entrepreneur, financial literacy educator, and speaker to understand how current events affect our money, economy, and our freedom. Grow your money safely, reduce taxes, increase returns, and create positive arbitrage with Your Personal Bank. Tune in to the Your Personal Bank show Saturdays at 4 p.m. or contact Ferentz at yourpersonalbank.com. The Your Personal Bank show Saturdays at 4 p.m. This is Dennis Prager. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Mike Gallagher and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This trip of a lifetime to Israel is one you don't want to miss. Register today before it's too late at Stand with Israel Tour. Dot com, StandWithIsraelTour.com or call 855-565-5519. 855-565-5519. Remember when you were in your teens and you thought you were invincible? Well, the same rationale applies to adults too. When we're feeling good, we think everything is okay and we don't need a power of attorney or we think we don't need a healthcare proxy. We think, ah, we'll worry about that when we're older or we become sick. Well, nothing can be further from the truth. The fact is, if something happens, you might not be able to designate a power of attorney or healthcare proxy. What happens then? Then the state or the courts may have to make those choices for you. Is that what you want? Of course not. It's essential to create a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy as soon as you can when you're healthy. Call Connors and Sullivan, attorneys at law. They really know this stuff. They've been doing it for 40 years. They will help you make a plan that protects you best. You'll designate who you want to make decisions for you. For a free in-person initial consultation with a lawyer, call 718-238-6500. That's 718-238-6500. Listen to AM 970 The Answer on Alexa. Tune in iHeart or Odyssey.com. Selection, Matt. 
I try, I try. Bruce Springsteen Murder Incorporated. Where? That is very clever on your part. Uh, thank you. So that's why I do what I do. I, I, I will say that the story we're going to talk about is no laughing matter at all. And today is a big day because there has been a break in the Gilgo Beach murder mystery. Jane Doe number seven has been identified as Karen Vergata. This is 27 years after her disappearance. And joining us to discuss this is nationally syndicated radio host Frank McKay, who has been covering the Long Island serial killer case for probably about as long as anybody has. Frank, thank you so much for joining me today on the Arthur Idala Power Hour. This is Joe Sibilia. How are you? Uh, Joe, thank you very much for having me. Well, Frank, you know, you were the first person that we thought of to have on the show to discuss this issue. Now, why has it taken 27 years to identify Karen Vergata? She disappeared around February 14th, 1996. How did it take this long uh, to get an ID on uh, Karen Vergata? Uh, you know, the the main thing that we've been concentrating on when we covered this is uh, is, is the not who did this because we don't have the wherewithal we don't have the technology to um, do anything but speculate which is what anybody can basically do but what we were saying and what i was concentrating on is is not the fact that we knew who the killer was but we knew who covered it up and i know that from involvement in politics and and quite frankly the the people that were were covering things up the things the people that were slowing things down are all people I had good relationships with. And one being, and again, uh, you know, I guess the starting point really is, is not when Karen uh, lost her life, uh, because that was, a, that was another, that was James Catterson was the DA back then. And, uh, you know, they, they simply didn't have the technology that, that we have now and, and whatever. But in 2001, um, Jimmy Burke came to prominence through Tom Spoda's office. And uh, Jimmy Burke uh, later became the, the police chief to everyone's shock. And, and Tom Spoda won an election in 2001 and actually took office in 2002. And uh, when these murders, uh, you know, some eight years later, came to, uh, came to the forefront, um, the, you know, the, I guess the wheels started falling off at this point. And there was speculation that, that, uh, that Spoda who, quite frankly, I had a great relationship with, and Jimmy Burke was kind of like a son to uh, Tom Spoda, the former DA. And when uh, when things really got out of hand as far as, uh, uh, you know, investigations not going forward was with the election of Steve Ballone uh, to county executive, and that happened in 2011, um, right after, you know, about he took office about a, a year and a month after the... Uh, the first remains of the first victims that were recognized in this uh, Gilgo uh, set of murders, um, uh, it, you know, came just about the time that Steve Ballone was sworn in. And soon after that, you know, the moment that he got sworn in, he put Jimmy Burke, James Burke, in as police chief. And, and to everyone's shock, even those who we, <laughs> those of us who liked Jimmy Burke or, or were allies to him, uh, we, we had no idea that this was going to happen, and we were just in complete shock. He had an IA history, an internal affairs history that was, uh, you know, uh, fraught with, um, you know, the prostitution uh, claims, uh, even claims that he was running a prostitution ring while he was a cop. And somehow or another, uh, Steve Ballone, as his first move as county executive, put 
uh, Jimmy Burke in as, as chief of department. And after that, it just the speculation the speculation just went wild, and uh, and nothing absolutely nothing happened until Ray Tierney got elected. Uh, some ten years, uh, twelve years after that, it's amazing to think just how politics seems to muck everything up, and especially uh, in the search for justice. Uh, let me ask you a question. What do we know about Karen Vergata and her backstory? Yeah, I don't know anything uh, about uh, about her. We just heard the name today for the first, or first time I've ever heard um, this name. And I guess, you know, the, the world is uh, just hearing her name now. And uh, I don't know, we'll, we'll find out over the next couple of days. And I'm sure there'll be all kinds of reports on, on her disappearance, which is just, uh, you know, tragic, uh, of course. Uh, one of the problems that we've said, and, and I've said it from from the beginning, the the reason they can get away with not investigating these y- young women, uh, these uh, these these young folks that lost their lives, is because they're sex workers. If this was Marsha, Jan, and Cindy, uh, or they, they were the cheerleaders, or the uh, you know the, the the head of the glee club, uh, people would have been out there like peasants with pitchforks with uh, with uh, torches screaming for an investigation to go on. But the fact that they're sex workers, they just got thrown to the side of the road and basically left there all these, uh, all these years. And, and there was a, an allowance of the public officials and the politicians to basically uh, look the other way, slow down, or even cover up. At, at very worst, cover it all up. That, that, that's an interesting point you bring up, Frank, that it seems as though uh, people don't value all lives equally. They feel, well, if you're a sex worker or something of that nature, that it's, you know, not worth maybe the media attention. It's not worth the attention of the public. And uh, it's outrageous to think that way. Every life is a valuable life and every life should be treated as such. And it's good now that finally people are really paying attention to the story in the way that they should, in the way that you have for so many years. Uh, we're talking with Frank McKay, who is a nationally syndicated radio host, and he is really an authority on this uh, Gilgo Beach uh, murder mystery that has been uh, ongoing for uh, quite some time now. Now, th- one of the victims, Frank, Maureen uh, Brainerd Barnes, uh, she was found bound with a belt with the insignia of either HM or WH. Uh, which could match the relatives of the suspect, Rex Hurman. Could this belt be a smoking gun or the smoking gun in this mystery? Well, it could uh, end up being, but uh, it also, uh, to give you a little backstory on it, uh, it became uh, a red herring. This belt became a red herring. Uh, if, uh, if you know about the 911 tapes of, uh, or the 911 recording of uh, Shannon Gilbert, uh, being uh, kept closed off from the public uh, for, for years, uh, John Ray, the attorney for uh, for Shannon Gilbert, was uh, about to get that decision overturned, and it was uh, about to release the the tape. And about a week before that happened, uh, former DA Tim Sinney, who came after Spoda, uh, who had done nothing, you know, significant on this case, no significant. Um, movement on on the investigation uh he held up this belt for seven and a half minutes in a press conference uh and and said if anybody knows anything uh, about this these initials you know and they had wh or uh it could have been hm if it was turned upside down um you know to contact the police and it seemed very silly um it, it just seemed like a very silly thing to do uh but it did take 
attention off of what was about to happen when John Ray ultimately won in the appellate division. Uh, for whatever reason, they desperately didn't want those Steve Ballone and, uh, and, and Tim Sinney, um, who's basically been his cabana boy for those four years, uh, it didn't want that information. They didn't want that tape to come out. And when they held up this belt, uh, it, it created the illusion that they were doing something. The truth is that this belt was found at the original crime scene. So it was there, and it, and it very well may be, you know, who know, like you said, a smoking gun. Um, as far as the, the belt goes, the initials are very significant, and nobody's ever reported this, but uh, Tim Sinney, uh, well, it's, it's been reported recently in the, uh, the Washington Post, but not, uh, not directly. But somewhere around uh, August 10th, 2021, as Tim Sinney was fighting for his life to get reelected, he was about to arrest a man. And I'll just say the first name is William, and I, I, I don't want to give up the, the guy's privacy, but he's a, right. a New York City police officer, and he lived around the corner, literally lived around the corner from Rex uh, Hewerman. Oh, wow. And then he, then he uh, urged, I, I mean, begged um, the, the homicide detectives uh, at the time, a guy named Pat uh, uh, Portella, um, who was the, the head of the investigation at the time, to uh, to back him up on an arrest of this individual and uh and basically portella and the other the other homicide detective said I, you, you can't arrest him he's completely innocent you have you have no evidence pointing to him and and tim sinney loved them loved uh, you know the this this william um as a uh, as a suspect because he matched up with the belt and he was also in the box you know where the the pings were coming from the cell phone pings as it turns out the uh, the the former police officer from New York City. Um, uh, the, most of the the questionable phone calls came from family members that were in that in that particular box. Uriman was outside of the box, just outside of the box, and it was uh, you know two blocks away. And Cinny just didn't have, quite frankly, the experience or the um, or, or the the competence to get Uriman. It wasn't that Cinny didn't want to arrest him, and we were questioning that. Uh, from, you know, at the point, because it didn't look like he was doing much. He was trying. He just had the wrong information, and he just didn't have the experience to do it. But the, the real story, and it's going to break, you know, like the name of this guy will break. He's not returning, you know, phone calls, and I understand why he wouldn't. Um, but quite frankly, uh, it was almost a complete disaster where an innocent man was elect, uh, would, would have been arrested uh, in order to get Tim Sinney reelected, and, uh, and, and the fallout would have been horrific, and we never would have gotten newer men at this point. Frank, this is fascinating stuff, and I thank you so much for explaining all of this to us. There's so many twists and turns in this case, and I do hope you'll come back and join us again uh, to give us more insight as uh, the story develops. So thank you for your time today. Joe, thank you very much. Always a pleasure, Frank. Coming up next, Councilman Robert Holden on the Arthur Idala Power Hour. Tonight at 7, it's the Fun Friday edition of Radio Night Live. Christine Nicholas, Kevin McCullough, tearing it up, having a good time, hoping you will join us as we look at all things fun for your weekend. Do not miss this weekending edition. Want to listen to AM 970 The Answer on the go? There's an app for that. Download our free smartphone app so you can listen to all your favorite shows, keep up with us on social media, enter contests, win prizes, and even interact with our hosts all in one place. Just search AM 970 The Answer in the iPhone App Store or the Google Play Store for the Android. Again, search AM 970 The Answer and download our smartphone app today. That way, you can take us wherever you go.
Increase your investment knowledge in a unique way this year. Join us on the 2023 Eagle Financial Publications Cruise along with The Money Show. Visit EagleFinancialCruise.com for details and to secure your cabin. Eagle Financial is a division of Salem Media Group. Hi, it's Arthur Idala. I've been talking about the court reporting program at Plaza College for almost a year now. Well, Plaza College, which you know has been around since 1916, not only has the School of Court Reporting, but they have four other schools of study, including their new School of Nursing. The accelerated Bachelor of Science in Nursing program can be completed in just 16 months. And I'd like to offer congratulations to their first graduating cohort of nursing students. The first cohort began with 20 students and 18 successfully completed the program. What an accomplishment. Congratulations. Plaza also has a dental hygiene program with a 20-chair community clinic. Students work on live patients under the supervision of a dentist. It's incredible. For additional information regarding the programs I mentioned or Plaza's other areas of study, like their School of Business and Paralegal Studies or School of Allied Health, just visit their website at plazacollege.edu. That's P-L-A-Z-A college.edu. My name is Imran Ansari, and I lead the Civil Litigation Division of Idala, Bertuna & Kamins, the preeminent New York litigation law firm. Have you been injured in a construction site accident? Have you fallen from a scaffold, ladder, or height while on the work site? If the answer is yes, then you may be entitled to significant monetary compensation for your injuries. In most cases, the law in New York favors you as the plaintiff if injured in a fall while working on someone else's property. It is important you speak to an attorney right away to make sure your rights are protected. Myself and our team of experienced trial attorneys will never settle for less than what you deserve. We are always ready to go to court to fight for you and seek justice. If you or a loved one have been injured in an accident, don't delay. Call Idala Bertuna and Kamins at 212-486-0011, 212-486-0011, or visit us at idalalaw.com. Idala Bertuna and Kamins, fighting for justice, fighting for you. Hi, it's Arthur Idala, and I am in love with my shiny, bald, smooth head. Hemp Leaf products are made with all natural ingredients and essential oils to bring you comfort and relief and keep you looking young. Hemp Leaf is the next big thing in skin and body care. The whipped body butters and creams leave my skin feeling soft, smooth, hydrated, giving my aging skin the nourishment it needs to stay young and healthy. Their liquid black soap glides on, leaving my my skin soft, crisp, and clean. They also have this amazing muscle rub called Icy Pot. The guys at Hemp Leaf also gave me samples of a remarkable neuropathy cream called Helixer that I gave to Marianne, and she uses it on her heels. She said it's been nothing short of a miracle. Within minutes, it soothes her aching feet. Remember, they don't put anything on your body that you wouldn't put in it. Visit them at HempLeaf.com. That's Hemp, H-E-M-P-L-I-E-F.com. Mention the name Arthur at checkout, and you'll receive 10% off. Coming up tonight on Radio Night Live, the fun Friday edition, Mayor Eric Adams will be our special guest. Join me and guest co-host Julian Phillips as we also welcome Broadway star Max Von Essen. It's a power-packed Friday. See you at 7. Listen to us online at am970theanswer.com. Tune in, iHeart, Alexa, or odyssey.com. We're back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. With New York City's preeminent trial attorney and quintessential New Yorker, attorney Arthur Idala. Start spreading the news. 
Hello and welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. This is your guest host, Joe Sibilia, and joining me right now on the Arthur Idala Power Hour is Councilman Robert Holden, who is a Democrat, and he is fighting for the city we love so much, New York, New York. Councilman, thank you so much for joining me tonight. How are you? It's a pleasure to have you on the show. I'm great. Thanks, Joe. My pleasure being here. Absolutely. So, Councilman, you voted against this new outdoor dining bill that was passed by the city council by a vote of 34 to 11. What was your reasoning for voting against this initiative to maintain outdoor dining year round? Well, uh, you know, we, we're stuck with these uh, sheds. The, the pandemic is over. It's uh, we've moved on from that. We don't need to have dining in the roadways. I don't mind if you put an application in and you want to do, uh, you know, outside your your business on the sidewalk, sidewalk cafes. If you want to do that, that's fine. But once you take over the street and there's a lot of people that are complaining about the outdoor dining in the street with these sheds that have extended way beyond the pandemic and are really uh, a nuisance, not only an eyesore, a nuisance, but they obviously are taking up parking, especially in my district and many other districts like mine that rely, they're small towns in a big city, and we rely on our, our cars because I don't have a subway, essentially. I have a very, uh, you know, again, I have like buses, and mostly buses, and, you know, a couple of subway lines here and there. But we have to get around by car. And then when we can't park in our commercial districts, that's a problem. So what the city council did, they tried to, you know, fix it and try to you know, put some restrictions on it. But they left a lot of openings like the decision where to put these will be on the Department of Transportation. That's ridiculous. I don't want I'm a duly elected uh, council member from my district. I should have the authority and not some bureaucrat sitting in the Department of Transportation to approve or disapprove these. I imagine not only have these been an issue uh, with regard to traffic in the city, but I would also have to guess that they've proven to be, in some ways, a sanitation issue. Uh, do these sheds attract rats? Do they uh, attract uh, basically a squalor for the city in some ways? You name it, they attracted it. They even had some people, some businesses were putting propane tanks in the walls of the sheds or storing other things in there. They were a complete eyesore, but we, we're not going to allow sheds. It, this bill that passed, which I voted against that you said, but, but it's really, they're, they're allowing barriers. Listen to this barriers, which are, it's been, it's not spelled out what type of barriers like, uh, you know, and it's supplied by DOT, but it's not even clear after the season is over in November where those barriers will go. That means they might just leave them on the street. Hopefully they don't, but the bill didn't spell this out. So there's a lot of hazards with this, not only when it snows, um, if, if, uh, if we get a late snowstorm or an early snowstorm um, in the, let's say, November, this could be a problem. But again, I don't know if it's because the bill's unclear, and that's why I voted against it, where are these barriers are going to go once. So you're allowed to put a barrier. You could put tables and chairs in the street. You could, um, you know, put umbrellas. But again, what happens? You know, they're going to stay up the whole season. But what happens when the season's over? And there's no there's no information about that. It seems hard to recall a time, Councilman. And by the way, if you're just tuning in, I'm talking with Councilman Robert Holden about the uh, outdoor dining issue here in New York City. Uh uh, it's hard to remember a time, Councilman, where we haven't had these sheds 
at restaurants when you go and you dine. You have the option now, at least, either to eat inside or dine inside one of these uh, makeshift sheds that these restaurants have put out. Was this solely a creation of the pandemic, or were these uh, sort of out and about on a smaller scale in the city prior to the pandemic? No, it was it was um, from the pandemic because remember we couldn't go indoors, right? You know, during the pandemic, so they wanted us outside. So somebody came up with this idea, which I, I didn't agree with because I still think you're indoors. I mean, essentially, mo- most of these restaurants, uh, when it got colder out, they would just enclose them. So you were sitting in a in a again a shed, enclosed shed, and it was heated in various ways. And it was enclosed. So you were essentially inside, indoors, but in the street. And again, that is that is not it's not a one size fits all because New York City has different neighborhoods of different sizes. Uh, and um, historically, some have mom and pop shops, some have, you know, people, uh, residents above the stores. So if you're going to have outdoor dining until midnight or 1 a.m. and people live there above, they got to sleep. And this is this is the problem, and especially in my district and in many other districts like mine. So what I told the city council is, it's not a, you know let let the council member and the community board. I'm not saying you, you we can't have both, but let the council member and the community board weigh in. That's all they did. They we weigh in, but we're advisory essentially. So that means if DOT wants to put it in and they love the application, and you say no, let's say you're a council member, you say no, and the community board says no. They'll, the DOT will say, go fly a kite. We're putting it there. And that's what they do all the time anyway. And that is an interesting point you bring up. That didn't even occur to me, the fact that a lot of these neighborhoods are uh, more so residential than a business district where uh, there are a lot of restaurants, but maybe not so many people around at a late hour. There are some neighborhoods where you have these uh, restaurants with outdoor dining and people are you know, being loud and enjoying themselves and imbibing, and yet you have people sometimes right above the restaurant trying to get some sleep. So you, you raise a very good point, Councilman. I, I wanted to move on to another issue which you have been very outspoken about, and that is the migrant crisis that we've been facing uh, here in New York. So you participated, as I understand it, in a press conference with some other elected Democrats uh, from New York calling for President Biden's assistant in dealing with the migrant crisis. What do you think has been the greatest impact that this issue has had on New York City? Well, all you have to do is look around. I mean, you, if you go by the Hotel Roosevelt, you go into Manhattan, you go into many neighborhoods, you're seeing just, and they just cleaned it up, but the men were sleeping outside. Mostly men were sleeping outside. Uh, and you have hundreds. Now we have, uh, we're approaching 100,000 migrants who probably most of them are able-bodied men uh, who really have, uh, they're unskilled, essentially, and unvetted. And that's the biggest problem I have, unvetted, meaning they didn't fill out applications yet for asylum. They just, you know, Biden's uh, administration opened the borders. He came up with 300 executive orders, essentially to open the southern border and make it easier for people to come into our country and again, they're not vetted, which is, the, you know, for, for a city that got hit the hardest on 9-11 to have unvetted individuals. All you need is a couple. We know that. We, we learned that from experience. All you need is a few that they could do a lot of damage and kill a lot of people. So why would we open the door? And then why would we have to? And then when they open the door, 
We have to pay. The taxpayers of New York City have to pay to put them up room and board and give them services, give them medical. I mean, you name it, we're doing it. Educate them. Tell me the advantage to that. What do we get out of that except footing the bill? Now, do you think there is a way for New York to maintain its sanctuary city status, which I know you were against, uh, but is there a way to keep this status without being completely overwhelmed by the influx of asylum seekers? I want to see you know, people who are seeking asylum and who are in need to get the help they need, but can we do it without just being overwhelmed as we are at the moment? Well, beyond the sanctuary city status, which, again, like you said, I don't agree with it because, again, we... I just don't want the, the, you know, to let anybody into and then protect them, by the way, and then give them legal services to protect. You know, let's say the, the, the person has a criminal background. We give them, you know, legal services to fight that, to fight, let's say, they're being deported or, you know, ICE wants to deport them. So, you know, but aside from that, I mean, the mayor thinks that, you know, we have to shelter everyone coming in. That means... Uh, We have a right to shelter law that was passed in the late 70s, which really meant homeless New Yorkers, New Yorkers, by the way, not homeless, uh, you know, people from South America or from Africa or from anywhere in the world, China. That that wasn't meant for that. So the right to shelter is now being challenged by the the Adams administration. And that's a good thing. And uh, I think there'll be a decision probably by, uh, or at least they're talking, by mid-August, so maybe in a week or so. Well, Councilman, uh, thank you so much uh, for uh, giving us some of your valuable time today and for sharing your insights on these issues that have been plaguing the city. And I do hope to talk to you uh, again very soon, uh, but thank you for joining me today. It's uh, been the utmost delight to talk to you. Again, my pleasure, Joe. Thank you. Thank you. Councilman Robert Holden joining us. And coming up next, we have a salute to Pee Wee Herman. That's next on the Arthur Idala Power Hour with your guest host, Joe Sebelia. Stay tuned. Hi, Kevin McCullough. Wish there was an easier way to navigate the world of real estate. If only there was a way to learn from the best. Well, now there is. Saturdays at 10, our very own Dottie Herman, vice chair of Douglas Elliman, gives you the inside track to what is hot in real estate. Stay one step ahead in today's seller's market as Dottie gives her tips on how to make it through the tricky waters. Doesn't matter if you're new to the game or a seasoned vet, you need to listen to Eye on Real Estate. Dottie and her team of experts will guide you as sellers and buyers to make sure you're getting the best value for your property. Whether you want to become a real estate agent or work within the business, there is no better person to learn from than the great Dottie Herman. Why? Because she is the best. Period. <laughs> so tune in, Eye on Real Estate, Saturdays at 10 on AM 970, The Answer. That's Eye on Real Estate, Saturday mornings at 10 o'clock on AM 970, The Answer. We are proud, proud to serve, to serve our country, to serve our local communities, to wear the uniform, to be a soldier, to serve abroad when and where duty calls. We are ready to stand with our brothers and sisters to defend, to serve, to fight. We're always ready. We're always there. We are the New York Army National Guard. Sponsored by the New York Army National Guard. 
This is Mike Gallagher. Sign up today for an unforgettable experience in Israel this October. Dennis Prager and I are traveling to the Holy Land on the Stand with Israel tour with our trusted partner, Inspiration Cruises and Tours. This is a trip of a lifetime. You don't want to miss it. Register today before it's too late. Visit StandWithIsraelTour.com, StandWithIsraelTour.com, or call 855-565-5519, 855-565-5519. And together, let's Stand with Israel. Kevin McCullough is next on AM 970, The Answer. If you don't know that music, you're really missing out. From one of my favorite movies, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Welcome back to the Arthur Idala Power Hour. This is your guest host, Joseph Billy, along with Matt Sambolin. And uh, Alex Garrett happens to be in the studio as well. And uh, we've had a big show, crazy day here in New York. Things seem to be settling down in Union Square. But I want to take a few minutes uh, to talk about somebody who really was one of my all-time favorite comedians who we lost earlier this week, and that would be Paul Rubens, who was the actor and the man behind Pee Wee Herman. Now, regardless of some of the questionable choices he's made in his personal life, I don't think you could deny that he was a very gifted actor and a, really a brilliant comedian. I, I think Pee Wee Herman is just about one of the funniest things. I, I can even remember the first time I saw that movie, Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I was probably like five or six, and I watched it in a very unusual manner because every day uh, before school for like a week, my mother would have my sister and I watch maybe like 10 or 15 minutes of it. So I saw it kind of in drips and drabs, and every day I was on the edge of my seat. Who's he going to meet next? Who's he going to encounter next? <laughs> What's going to happen? Is he going to find the bike? And it was really just became very much immediately one of my favorite movies. Then when I discovered a few years after that that he did a television show, Pee-wee's Playhouse, I saw this faded video cassette at a blockbuster this is when I moved to Pennsylvania, and I said, oh, my God, is that the guy with the bike? I got to watch the show. I wasn't terribly familiar with that. Once I watched it, I just thought, what? this guy is great. I, I got to find out more about him and uh, really had quite an interesting career. I don't know how much you know about Paul Rubens and his rise to stardom. Didn't quite happen the way it happened probably for uh, the influencer who was in Union Square today. But <laughs> yes. he's he's an example of somebody who had to trudge up through the ranks. He was somebody who really honed his skills from an early age. He was very involved with the community theater. He was a part of a performing group called the Oslo Theater uh, in Florida, where he grew up largely in Sarasota. And he went to California to the Arts, which is the school that was founded by Walt Disney. And uh, he was a student there along with David Hasselhoff and Katie Segal. And uh, from there, ended up joining a improv comedy troupe called The Groundlings, which many people may know because it is sort of the breeding ground for a lot of the talent that comes from Saturday Night Live. Uh, people like Will Ferrell and Jimmy Fallon, Conan O'Brien have all been participants in classes or were full-fledged members of the Groundlings. And uh, many of Paul Rubin's collaborators who helped 
form Pee Wee Herman and the character and the show came out of the Groundlings. People like Phil Hartman, who was his writing collaborator and a co-star in many Pee Wee projects, and Lynn Marie Stewart, who was Miss Yvonne, Edie McClurg, who was in the original Pee Wee Herman show and you've probably seen in many films and television shows, John Paragon, who was John B. the Genie. All these people were part of this little repertory company known as the Groundlings. And Pee Wee was created in a class that was run by a gentleman by the name of Gary Austin. And really, at first, was just basically the costume and the voice. And Paul Rubens has said, basically, Pee Wee was supposed to be his concept of a bad stand-up comedian. Now, all the while, a very savvy producer and writer by the name of Donna Kaufman came along. And she came up with the concept of doing it as a children's show and doing that in the vein of something like Soupy Sales or Pinky Lee or many of the local uh, children's shows of the 1950s and 60s and putting Pee Wee in as the host. And after he didn't get Saturday Night Live, he was thinking about what he was going to do. He ended up partnering up with this producer and they formed a little cast and they put together this play. And it started at the Groundlings and then moved over to the Roxy Theater on the Sunset Strip. Now, this is where the story gets interesting, because, I mean, if it hasn't already been riveting you, uh, the, the turn that comes here is he was savvy himself, Paul Rubens, because the original agreement between them all was they were all going to get uh, like three percent of whatever happened with Pee Wee. Anything that came out of that play, any television deal, uh, a movie, anything like that, they would get like 3%. All the people who were in the cast were credited as co-writers of the show. And needless to say, Paul Rubens made a deal with HBO to film it for a television special, part of their On Location series. And when that happened, they still didn't have the contracts till about an hour before they taped. And they got the contracts, and by then it was too late to back out, and it was nothing like he had promised. So needless to say, they were all cut out of the Pee Wee fortune. And from there, out of that HBO special and his many appearances on the David Letterman late-night show, he landed that movie deal, uh, which became Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Now, do you know what the original movie was supposed to be about, Matt? I do not. So before it was decided it was going to be about the bike, he wanted to do... Almost a, a, a version of the old Disney film Pollyanna with uh, Haley Mills, where basically he cheers up this kind of dreary town full of curmudgeons. And, and needless to say, that did not sell. Thankfully, he came up with the idea about the bike. And then at the premiere of Pee-wee's Big Adventure was where he was approached to create Pee-wee's Playhouse. And they wanted to do CBS, the network that uh, produced the show, wanted to do an animated series. And he said, no, I want to do it live action. I want to do it based on... This HBO special that I did, but for kids, the HBO special is really an interesting thing to see because it's very much for adults, and the rest is history. And of course, we know about many of his legal issues, which I don't want to get into here. I'm trying to focus on his career at this moment. But I don't know if you know this, Matt, but one of his early roles, he's a very talented voice actor, Paul Rubens, and one of his very early roles was as the voice of Freaky Frankenstone on the Flintstones Comedy Hour. Here's a little clip of Freaky talking with his neighbor Pebbles, who he wants to invite to his birthday party. Uh, and see if you can tell that this is the incomparable voice of the talented Paul Rubens. Hi, Freaky. My dad says you can't come to my birthday party this afternoon. Oh, Freaky, why not? Because he thinks your family is, well, strange. Oh. 
so Paul Rubens there as Freaky Frankenstone. And then the other thing that was great about Pee-wee is it was really a throwback to old school comedy, kind of old vaudeville type of stuff. He had a great chemistry with Phil Hartman, who played Captain Carl in the stage show, the Pee-wee Herman show, and Pee-wee's Playhouse. Here's a little clip of uh, Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman working together. They're playing restaurant in this episode of Pee-wee's Playhouse from, I think, 1986. And uh, just listen, this is one of my favorite bits. This was, in fact, that episode that I got on the VHS. This is the first one I saw. A great bit between Paul Rubens and Phil Hartman. I'm sorry. I've just been informed that we're all out of the juicy steak. <laughs> well, then, how's the chicken? Excellent. I'll take that, then. But we're out of that as well. well let me see. Then I'll have the lobster. I wouldn't recommend that. Why not? Because we're out of it. (laughs) Then what do you have? A peanut butter and jelly sandwich. I'll take that then. Would you like that on white, whole wheat, rye, or salad? Just like a sandwich. Will that be all? Yeah. What's this? Your check. Two dollars for a peanut butter sandwich? And jelly. It's just, I love that bit. I, I just think that they were great together and they had brilliant chemistry. And unfortunately, for a while there, after the Pee-wee deal with the, with the play, they weren't really on speaking terms. And, of course, Phil Harmon left to be on Saturday Night Live, and that did not sit well with Mr. Rubens. But uh, thankfully, I think they did sort of make up uh, in later years before uh, Phil Hartman's untimely uh, passing. Uh, Matt, I assume you probably watched Pee-wee's Playhouse. I, I did watch Pee-wee's Playhouse. I did like Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Wasn't a fan of the second sequel, though, to that. Big Top Pee-wee. Big Top Pee-wee. Not, wasn't a big on that so, one. I just read an interview the other day that uh, Paul Rubens did with Playboy magazine with uh, Bill Zamey. And he talks about that. And he said when they were coming up with the title for Big Top Pee-wee, he was trying to think of a title that would be, quote, critic-proof. That nobody... And the first review, Big Flop Pee-wee. <laughs> <laughs> so he was... Uh, I, I just think he had such a unique vision of how he wanted things. He was so savvy business-wise. He knew exactly what he wanted the show to be like, and he was exacting. And a lot of people perceive that as difficult to deal with, and he probably was in some ways, and he would have admitted that. But, for example, when they made the Pee Wee Herman dolls, you know how many times they had to send that doll to him? Like eight times before they finally signed off on the doll because he was not happy with the way he looked as the doll. Uh, he knew exactly what he wanted. And, of course, the nice thing was, after his myriad of controversies, he did see something of a renaissance. He had the Pee Wee Herman show on Broadway, which I so wish I had seen uh, when it was uh, on stage about uh, 11 or 12 years ago at this point. Uh, they made that into an HBO special as well. And then, of course, he did a one final Pee Wee movie, uh, which was uh, Pee Wee's Big Holiday with uh, Joe Manganiello, which was pretty good. I finally got to see that uh, a little while ago, and it, that was... A good movie as well, but a, a talent gone too soon. I, I think uh, there won't be a performer quite of his type ever again where he has a character that's just so indelible. And uh, it, it's great that we have Pee Wee in this role because he, he did bring a lot of laughter and happiness to a lot of people. So rest in peace, Paul Rubens. Thank you to Arthur Idala, Matt Sambolin, Alex Garrett, Joan Pelzer, Jerry Crowley, all the people who have allowed me to fill in once more for the incomparable Arthur Idala. This has been Joe Sibilia. Thank you for tuning in on AM 970 The Answer. Stay tuned for Radio Night Live with Kevin McCullough, and let's hear Pee-wee sing as he flies off into the sunset. A circus what, kids? I'm going to share all my luck with you. I'm Pee-wee Herman. 
The Arthur Idala Power Hour is sponsored by Idala Bertuna and Cammons, PC. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.